Well, good morning, Calvary. Like we just said, my name is Solomon, and I get the privilege of getting to be on staff here working in the student ministries, and so I hope that means that I've learned how to be engaging enough to keep you awake this morning. <laughs> if we've never met before, you're like, wait, does that guy really work here? Uh, my wife and I, we just moved, my wife Kelsey, uh, we just moved here to Colorado this last December from Chicago. We're both recent graduates from the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. We walked last May, got married in June, then moved here in December. And so it has been a full but awesome year for us. I was finishing up school and an intern helping to plant a church just north of Chicago, one of two staff people, when one of my best friends from school, his name's Jake Bauer, he actually works at the middle school ministry at the Boulder campus, and he was telling us about this awesome church that he grew up at in Colorado called Calvary Bible Church. And so he was telling us to check it out. And so as we were checking Calvary out, we, we just had this sense that this was the place where God was taking us. And so it wasn't an easy decision as church planting is hard work that really bonds people together. We were really close with our pastor and with our church family there, but you all have been such a welcoming church family for us to step into. And so we've been so privileged and are so excited to get to be here this morning. And especially, I'm excited today because I get to open up the Word of God with you. And something that I try to tell students every time we open up the Bible is that I really believe God talks to us. And so when we open up the Bible this morning, I just want to invite you to expect to hear from God this morning. So as we do, would you... Pray with me. God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us and you desire to talk to us. And so we pray and we ask that this morning um, that you would help me to speak your words and that you would help us to see the things that you want us to see and that we would leave here loving Jesus more than we did when we walked in. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you had... 10 sentences that you could write as your final words to your family, what would you say? What would you want to tell them? Would you tell them that you love them? Would you tell them where they would need to go to be taken care of? Well, I remember as a kid, I'm the, I'm the oldest of five children. I was about 11 or 12 years old. My parents, when they would start to go on vacation, my dad would start to sit my dad would start to sit me down and would tell me, just in case their plane crashed, where their will was, what was going to happen to us. And looking back, I'm like, whoa, that's some pretty heavy stuff to be given to an 11-year-old. <laughs> but, but what would you say as your final words to your family? This morning in James, this, this is James's final words to this group of Christians. He's been writing to this group of Christians that he loves and he cares for. And James, who, the half-brother of Jesus, a Christian cynic from the beginning, now turned into a pastor, is, has been telling all these Christians, instructing them how to live as a Christian, to control their tongue, to trust in God's wisdom rather than their own, how to endure trials. And now this week, his final word to us is pray. Pray when things are good. Pray 
when you're suffering, pray because prayer has the power to restore, to heal our physical wounds and our spiritual wounds. And to restore something literally means to bring it back to the way that it used to be. And there's something inside all of us that when we face suffering, we know that there's something wrong. That God didn't create the world to be this way. We know even just from this week, this week has been a week where we were reminded that we live in a world of suffering where things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. And today, James is reminding us that prayer has the power to heal, to bring us back to the way that God intended us to be, but not just the prayers of you as an individual, but the prayer of a whole church community. And so if I had to summarize, James's final words to us this morning would be this. God restores us through prayer and church community. God restores us through prayer and church community. So if you have your Bibles, your journals, you can open up with me to James chapter 5. We're going to be in this last portion of James, James 5, 13 through 20. And if you look at where he starts, he's telling us when we should pray. Is anyone suffering? Pray. And that probably feels like the most intuitive part of this passage, right? That sometimes as Christians that we can go about life and not think about God, not talk about God, not pray to God until hard things come our way. C.S. Lewis talks about pain as God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so when we suffer, we should go to God in prayer. But then, but then James goes in the complete other direction, and he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And for us, that feels kind of random, right? Sing praise, but I thought he was talking about prayer. Well, he is, but he, he's talking about how Christians are to be praying people, whether you're suffering or whether you're celebrating, whether you, you're in a time when you have little, when you have an abundance, God wants us to pray. There, there's this thing that happens sometimes in, with, with Christians where maybe you're at church or you're in small group and you open up for prayer requests and maybe sometimes there's that person that says, you know what? I don't really think I need prayer right now. Things are going pretty good. But, but one of the common mistakes that we can make about prayer is that, is that we only need it when we're suffering. But, but in the Bible, some of the times when people worship the most intensely is when they're celebrating. That our prayers in times of cheerfulness actually turn into songs of praise towards God. And so the next time that someone asks you for prayer and things are just going well for you, celebrate those things. Pray, praise God in your prayer life for the things that he's given to you. And so pray when you're suffering Pray when you're cheerful, but now James is actually going back to people who are suffering. If you look at the beginning of verse 14, he says, Is anyone sick? Call for the elders of the church. 
One of the other common mistakes that we can make about prayer is that it's, it's a solo venture. This project that you can get done all by yourself. But it only takes James one verse talking about prayer before he tells us to include other people to pray with us. And the people that James is telling us to go to for prayer here are, are those above us or our church leaders. Those above us or our church leaders. Is anyone sick? Call for the elders. Like many of you know, Calvary is led by a group of faithful, humble, God-fearing men that the members of the church have voted in as elders. And some of you guys are like, what? We have those? But, but the reason that this is important is because in the pattern of the New Testament, it, the people who spiritually care for and protect and feed the people in the church are pastors and elders. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, here's what Peter says to us. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. God gives elders to the church so that the members of the church would grow and be cared for. Optimal Christian health is underneath the leadership of qualified elders who love to care for people the same way that shepherds care for sheep. And so it makes sense then that when James is talking to these people who are suffering or are sick, that he tells them, go call, call for your elders. Those are the ones who've been given the task to spiritually care for you. And so Mark kind of talked about this already, but in front of you, if you didn't know, we have our connect cards. On the back, there's this spot for you to fill out prayer requests for you, for your family, for anything else going on. You drop it off in the box in the back, or you can do it online through our Church Center app. So even if it's in the middle of the week, you can still fill out prayer requests. But, but where these go, then, is they're all, they all gathered in one place where then the elders and the staff here at Calvary actually pray for you every week by name. And our elders, they gather twice a month. And part of what they do every time that they gather is, is they simply just pray for us as a congregation. And so one of the cool things about our pastors and elders here at Calvary is that they would love to come to you and pray for you. That they love to come and visit people in hospitals or when you're stuck at home. And there are even times when our pastors and elders will come to you by your request and anoint you with oil and pray that God would heal you. And that's, that's right here in this passage, right? That the elders don't just, not just that they come and they pray for you, but that when they come and they pray for healing, they anoint you with oil. Okay, so what's with the oil? Well, the oil isn't magic. It's, it's a symbolic way for us to recognize that the power to heal and to restore is from God. And so that's why the anointing is done in the name of the Lord, that it's not the oil that heals, but it's God who heals. 
So the oil isn't magical, but we, it's, it's us recognizing God is the one who has the power to heal. All right, so let's, let's talk about verse 15. James talks about the prayer of faith. Here at Calvary, one of our shaping values is prayer in faith. That God accomplishes his will through our prayers. And so here James is talking about a sick person who calls for, for the elders of the church to come and pray for him to, to be healed, anointing him with oil. But, but the thing that, that James is making normal for us here is, is to be expectant that when we actually ask God for healing, that God will actually give it to us. What James is making normal in verse 15 here is that when we pray for healing, that we would actually expect God to bring the healing. And so it's through our expectant prayers that God heals. But something that might feel really weird to us is that when he says at the end, at the end of the verse, he says, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Why does he go from talking about praying for physical healing to, the forgive, to forgiving sins? Well, I, I think the inescapable implication that James is making is that our physical life is connected to our spiritual life. That how we're doing spiritually impacts our physical health. And as Americans, or at least if you're like me, it's, it's hard for me to think that way. It's hard for me to think that, that what I'm doing over here in my spiritual life is actually impacting my physical overall health. But, but here, James seems to be indicating that there are some physical illnesses that are the result of sin. And so when the elders come and pray for this person, for God to heal them, and in the process, it's not just a physical healing that's happening. It's actually a spiritual one as well. Okay, now, at this point, I do want to make something clear. James is not saying that every sickness is the result of sin. And I'll say that one more time. That James is not saying that every time someone gets sick, or every time there's a bad diagnosis, that it's, that it's the result of sin. And in fact, the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels is contrary to that. And in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples, they run into this guy who's born blind. And his disciples have this assumption that, that the reason this guy was born blind was because someone sinned. And so they ask Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus responds by saying, Neither. This, this man was born blind so that the works of God might be seen through him. And he, and he proceeds to, to heal the guy. And so it would, every time that there's someone gets sick or there's a bad diagnosis or someone's facing chronic illness, our, our first thought shouldn't be that it's, it's the result of sin and that it would actually be kind of arrogant for us to think that we could fully trace the hand and purposes of God for everything that happens. In verse 15, there's one more place that I want to pause on for a moment. 
What, what does James mean when he says that the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick? And specifically, what does that mean? Because you and I both know people who love Jesus and still haven't been cured of their sickness yet. We, we believe that God still heals people today. We pray with expectation that God will heal. But the question that we have to ask is, is what about the people who aren't healed yet? And I'm thinking of some of you in this very room who, who you know people, or maybe that's even you, where you love Jesus, but God, for whatever reason, hasn't healed you. And so let's, let's take a second to unpack that together. What, what I think James means when he talks about the prayer of faith saving the sick, per, sick person is first, that we pray with expectation that God actually will heal. But, but what always comes with faith in God, what always comes with prayer, is this acknowledgement that, that God is God and we're not. God is in control. God is the one with ultimate power. And so, and so when we, we pray with expectation that God is the one who heals, it's different than demanding God to heal us. Because we can't. There, there's no secret formula in the Bible that guarantees 100% healing, 100% freedom from suffering. That the only place where this is promised is, is in heaven. And that's why our ultimate hope isn't in this life, but it's in the one that's coming. That we look forward to the day where we, we will actually experience and see full restoration of the way how God intended us to live in a world with no sin. But until then, our, our prayers and faith include an acknowledgement that we aren't the ones ultimately in control, but God is, and we learn to trust him because he's good and because he loves us. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament has this thing that he calls the thorn in the flesh, and he prays and he asks God to take it away three times, and God doesn't. Paul begs for healing, and for whatever reason, God doesn't give it to him. But Paul trusted God, and he loved God. And we get to learn from his example that even when our prayers are not answered the way that we hope that they are, that our prayers are not wasted, that there's still spiritual growth that's happening even when we pray for healing, and it doesn't happen as we learn to trust God. So we need the prayers of our church leaders but James moves away from talking about church leaders and moves to the necessity of the prayers of those around us. The prayers of our peers or, or our church community. Verse 16 talks about confessing sins and praying for each other so that we may be healed. Well, one of the other ways that God restores us is through prayer and confession with other people. And can we, can we talk for a second about how foreign it is for some of us to think about Confessing our sins with another person. And so we're, we're going to camp out there for just a second. As, 
In American churches, we're pretty good at viewing our relationship with God as this, as this thing between me and God. So, so why would I need to go confess my sins to another person? Well, well don't get me wrong. Con- confessing our sins to God is the first priority. But I do think James is helping to correct us a little bit when he points us to each other. That there is this specific kind of healing that happens when we actually talk and confess our sins and pray for each other with other real people. Remember, prayer isn't a solo venture, it's not the solo project, but a lot of times it's this team effort that we do together. We need community and we need to be known. We need to have people who can pray for us when we don't have the strength to pray for ourselves. Uh, there's this guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, he was a German pastor during the, the rise of Hitler in Nazi Germany. He's, it's actually this pre, pretty crazy story. Um, but he has this thing that he says about Christians needing community when we're discouraged in our faith. And he says this. The Christian needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ, than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. Part of what needs to happen if we're really gonna be the kind of church that does this is that we need, we need to be ready for people to share hard things with us. When, when someone comes to you with something heavy on their heart, we, we can start to get a little awkward. Um, and I get, I'm this way too. We, we, we want to make that hard feeling go away. But we need to be, learn to be ready to care for people. And when they come, they probably don't need your advice. They need to be reminded of the gospel. There have been times, even just this last month, where I've been in a situation where I know in my head what the right thing to do is. I, I know in my head what, what the right thing is, but for some reason, is my, my heart's just not getting there. Like, like my, my, heart, my head and my heart just aren't connecting. I, I, I don't know if you've ever been there before. Where you might know where the right thing is, but for some reason, my heart just can't make the jump. And so, and so I called up a friend and as, as he was talking to me, he, he was basically telling me the things that I already knew to be true. But, but for whatever reason, for some reason, when he was telling me these things, it felt way more tangible to me. Like, like the word of a brother or a sister, even when you know what the right thing is, sometimes it's like a life rope to pull you out. God restores through prayer and community. And one of the big ways that this happens is through just being honest and real about where you're at. And so so if you're stuck in a cycle of sin and you can't get out, or if you have secret sin that you've been hiding for so long that it feels too late to bring it up, or if you're going through hardship and it feels as though nothing in your life is going your way. You need to talk to someone. 
We, we were not made to survive spiritually by ourselves. We just won't make it. And so your, your life group is probably one of the best places for this to happen. Or even, even just invite someone that you trust to go out to coffee with you. But, but you need to talk to somebody. That there is healing that we just will not experience without confession and prayer with other people. Prayer really changes us. And it really restores And this is why James ends verse 16 by saying, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the question that we have to ask then is, is, am I I a righteous person? Why does James say that it's the righteous person's prayers that's powerful? Well, I think if if we keep looking, he actually gives us a little bit of insight to what he's saying when he goes and he talks about Elijah in verse 17 and 18. Elijah was this Old Testament prophet, and the story he's recalling is Elijah praying to God that it won't rain and then didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed again, and then God gave rain. Which sounds pretty crazy to us, but, but, but the point that James is making is that Elijah was a human, j- just like me and you. He wasn't magical. He wasn't a superhuman. He was a guy who had faith in God. And God heard him. And so James is encouraging us that just like he heard Elijah, he will hear us. On what basis? Well, Elijah, again, he he was a normal human. And for most of us in this room, we would probably consider ourselves normal people. But the thing that made Elijah different from anyone else at his time was that he followed God. He had faith in God. And and that's the whole point of this book, right? How do we follow God? What what does following God look like? That this whole time James has been telling us that this is what it looks like to be a righteous person. Love the poor, control your tongue, endure trials. This is what the righteous person looks like. But in James's mind, the righteous person and the Christian person aren't actually two separate people. They're the same person. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So if you place your faith in Jesus, God looks at you and he doesn't see your sins anymore. Jesus died so that when God sees you, he sees Jesus, his perfect and righteous. God has declared that over you Your new identity is in Jesus. And the whole book of James has been helping us to shape our outward life to reflect our inward reality of being righteous. And so if you've placed your faith in Jesus, God hears your prayers like Jesus is praying them. Isn't that crazy? And so when you ask other Christians to pray for you, you don't have to wonder if God hears those prayers because the prayers of a righteous person has great power. 
and you have righteous people sitting all around you. Churches are made up of sinners, yes. We all come to Jesus as sinners, but the church is made up of sinful people declared righteous by God in Jesus with that ongoing growth of righteousness being played out in our lives. And so when we come together and we pray for one another, there's a righteous person praying for you. When you come up here after service and you're prayed for by our prayer team, those are the prayers of the righteous. When you share in small group and pray together, those are the prayers of righteous people. And James is telling us to have confidence in those prayers because they're powerful. God restores people through prayer in church community. And this is what James is telling us today. That we need the prayers of our elders, the prayers of each other. Now, here's how James wraps it all up. If you look at these last two verses with me, he says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is a powerful way for James to end his letter. He's writing to show what practical faith looks like. And he ends with this final statement that if any of us go and bring wandering brothers and sisters back, it will save their soul. He's talking about the restoration, the bringing back of people who used to be with us, a part of our church family, and now they're not here anymore. And this happened a lot during COVID, right? That there are 30% less people here at Calvary now than there were back in 2019. Do you know people who used to be at church with us during COVID, they just completely dropped off. Or even just during this James series, then these last few months, do you know people that, that they were here when we started this series and they aren't here with us anymore? And I'm not talking about people who moved jobs or moved homes or switched churches. James is talking about people who used to be a part of our church family, who are not here with us anymore because they're wrestling with doubt or they're living in sin or they're angry at God or the church. James is telling us that we can actually go and bring them back. And our hearts should break for our brothers and sisters who walk away. Most of these people, they probably don't need you to win an argument for them or to convince them intellectually. They, they, they probably just need to know that people still love them and think about them. That God still loves them. And, and this starts with prayer. By praying that God would remind them of his love, that he, that he would comfort whatever needs to be comforted in them and soften whatever needs to be softened. And then praying that God might give you an opportunity to approach them. And it can be awkward sometimes to pursue people. It can feel confrontational, like, like, who, like who am I to go, to go and ask them about something so personal? And I just want to give you permission today. God wants to bring our wandering brothers and sisters back. And he wants to use you to do it. Not with anger, not with shame, not with accusation, but with love and with longing to see them come back. And here's just one practical way that you can do this and then we'll close. 
if there's someone that, where you can just see their face right now, you know their name, that's someone that God has brought up to you in this moment. You can shoot them a call this week or invite them out to coffee. You just let them know. Hey, we, we've, we've noticed that you've not been around lately. We miss you. How are you doing? Would you want to come back with us? And even if they're still in the fence, they don't know, they're still angry, you just let them know, hey, my, my family, we go to the 9 a.m., and we, we, we totally get it. You're still thinking it through, but we'll have a spot saved for you. Like, make, make it easy for people to come back. Make it easy for people to, to know when they think about community, when they think about church, when they think about God, that they know that they're loved. And when we do this, James is telling us that we save their soul. God restores people through prayer and church community. We need the prayers of those above us, and we need the prayers of those around us, and we need to pray for and pursue our wandering brothers and sisters. And this is James's final exhortation to us from his letter. And so let's pray that as we end this series, that God would help us to be these kind of people, to be this kind of church. Would you pray with me? God, we are just so thankful that you are God who hears our prayers. That you are God who loves to heal and restore the sick and the lost. And we are thankful that you've done this with us. That when we were lost in our sins, that you sent down Christ. And so we ask that you would help us to live out our faith in all of that you instructed us to do in this series. We need your help. We need your healing. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.